Um, I'm not, and I'm not seeking approval as much as I, you know, did. You know, I didn't. I, I really didn't feel like I was good enough when I was younger. You know, no matter how many teams I made or what I won or anything like that, you know, it still, still didn't feel at peace. Tēnā koutou katoa no mai hoki mai ki talking performance. Ko Jay Carter aho. I te nei e kōrero ana o kia Alan Bunting. Welcome back or welcome to Talking Performance. My name is Jay Carter and this week I'm stoked to have joined me Alan Bunting. I first came across the name Alan Bunting playing junior cricket in Tauranga many years ago. Alan was one of the fastest young bowlers in the country and we all thought was destined to go on and be a black cap and quite frankly probably would have been had he not chosen rugby. In 2021, Alan and childhood friend Corey Sweeney led the New Zealand women's sevens team to Olympic gold in Tokyo and in February this year was appointed to replace Wayne Smith as director of rugby of the Black Ferns program. This is a really cool chat for me as Alan is someone who I looked up to as a kid and now I looked up to him as a coach and I was buzzing after recording this. I hope you enjoy the chat and if you do, it'd be great if you could leave a review. Kia ora Alan, how are you mate? Good mate, how are you? Good thanks, you can hear me okay obviously? Yeah, loud and clear. Good man. Hey, thanks heaps for doing this. Yeah, no worries mate, oh, it's been a <laughs> you asked me a while ago and I've finally found some time. I know I want to connect with you, mate. And <laughs> um, I'm actually pretty nervous about this one. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it for a while because growing up, you were a bit of a hero to me, even though we're the same age. Um, I used to play cricket for Tauranga or Tauranga boys and you were playing for Rotorua or Rotorua boys and it was always that fear of, shit, I hope Alan's not playing. Because you were proper quick, right, as a bowler. And you're definitely the fastest in the region by miles. And back in the day, the rumour was you were fastest in New Zealand for your age, which wouldn't be overly surprising given how much quicker you were than everyone else. Um, and I do remember, actually not even bowling-wise, but you got 150 against us, I reckon, in the fourth form, playing in Rotorua. I don't know. You probably don't remember that. You probably scored tons of runs. But, um, yeah, and then so I've always sort of followed your career. And then I remember watching um, – I don't know what I, where I first saw your name in a rugby team, and I remember thinking, I'm sure the, I'm sure people used to say you played football at school, and here you are at rugby. So I'd love to kick off this with you as you know a sick or whatever we are in fourth form. I don't know, fifteen year old. What life looked like for you then? You were destined to become a black cap in probably everybody's eyes, and then you ended up. Um, coaching at the highest level in rugby, and I don't even know that. As I said, I don't even know that you played rugby at that stage. Would people have predicted that, mate? People in your circles, and did you predict that? No, no. Well, I've far out. We it's probably because I grew up in Rotorua, and in our street, we had a whole lot of people that played cricket in the street. So we, you know, I, was, I had an older brother that was pretty good, and you know, we we just grew up playing cricket. And and my older brother used to watch all the English football, so. It was it was definitely cricket and it, we used to call it soccer back then. Yeah, um, yeah. So through school, that, those were the those were the sports that that we played, and uh, certainly, I think I played a bit of rugby when I was young, real young, barefoot frost. I can remember that. <laughs> but yeah, cricket cricket was definitely 
you know, the most important thing in my life for a while there. And I remember, I think it was when I was 15, um, I, was, I was playing football or soccer for Rotorua City, the, the men's team me and my brother were playing. That was on a Saturday afternoon. And then I remember getting asked by the school if I wanted to play rugby. Oh, no, sorry. Fuck it. Here we do it. Walker. The club right. walker. I wanted to play in, in the morning for the under 15. So I used to jump on and play rugby there. And then soc- senior soccer in the afternoon. And then under 15s was on Wednesday. So I sort of started playing both. And um, I, I remember waking up. I was in a, I think I was in a New Zealand development camp. And we started playing two days and three days. And I remember waking up my morning. Is this and, cricket? Yeah, you're looking out the window. I think Dan Vittori and Neil Parlang were already in the nets practicing, and I was hoping for rain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just, I, you know, it started getting a bit long for me, and I, um, and then I, I remember jumping and at some sevens training, and I just felt this, and I don't know, it was a sort of a, a shift in me around. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just loved the taste of rugby, loved football, and then my paths. My path sort of changed. I remember in my last first 11 year, we were playing in a senior competition and there was one more game left and there was a sevens tournament. And my, my coach then, Chris Nielsen, I had to go and tell him, mate, I, I want to I wanna play sevens this weekend. He was, he was pretty gutted. Yeah. But I just I just knew it was the, the right thing and that's when I, I probably switched out. Right. And did you mm-hmm. play much cricket after that? No, I didn't. It, it was probably it. And to be honest with you, I... My body was a bit beaten up from cricket. I, I remember, you know, playing in senior teams and bowling ten to fifteen overs on the trot. You just got bowled and bowled, and definitely didn't know how to get my body right to bowl. And I remember going to my one of my first cricket camps, and and because of my my lower back, always had problems with my lumbar. They tried to change my action to make me sort of all aligned because my bottom half was straight and my top half half was. Um, Side on, real side on. They try to make me more sort of straight on, but my my thing was my outswinger, and it changed all that. So I, was, I wasn't yeah. going to try and try and change that. But yeah, my and my plant foot cartilage cartilage in my knee struggled in my lower back, and I've always had those problems on for probably being over bowled without any you know S and C training back then. It was just bowl in the weekend and nothing else. Mm. Bowl at trainings in the net. Mm. Yeah. And they, they do cap a bit of that now, eh? The young yeah, young yeah, they yeah, definitely do that. But I certainly wasn't managed when I was younger. Yeah. And as a as a as a young man growing up in Rotorua, uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was. Oh, I was. Yeah, I loved it. Had real good mates. You know, sport. You know, it was great. But I was actually mate. I was actually adopted and grew up in a heavily populated Maori school. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really always feel comfortable all of my own skin and probably struggled quite a bit back then but I you know sport for me was definitely my my saviour you know whenever teams were getting picked I usually got picked pretty pretty quickly <laughs> yeah, no that shit. was a good feeling for me I didn't really get that feeling anywhere else but you know so sport was a place where I certainly felt where I belonged and, and that's probably why I played everything I played basketball soccer um, you know, rugby try to get over to the beaches and surf and yeah, yeah, good we, mates, good mates back in Rotorua. Yeah, um, you know, still good friends from Rotorua boys um, that are my good mates now. Yeah, and when you say you weren't, um, I think you said you weren't that comfortable in your own skin. What do you mean by that? Well, Matt, I you know 
I knew I was mouldy. Well, I didn't know how to be one. You know, I, was, I don't know, my crazy little mind back then, scared I was going to get found out and you know, trying to trying to learn my language. I remember I, I, I went into the, the mouldy unit one year. I was going to be brave and went in and I just felt really extremely, extremely uncomfortable because all the guys that were in there had been in there for quite a while and and I so I think I you know went out of that class pretty quickly and went back into PE class <laughs> where I was comfortable and yeah just yeah that that's just sort of I think I how I how I felt back then. And how's that journey? Has that journey changed or? Yeah, it's it's certainly changed now, mate. Um, yeah. I I lost my dad when I was pretty young. He used to he used to be the one that sort of you know. He didn't know much about cricket, mate, but he used to throw balls at me in the backyard, and I used to smack smack them back in his shins, and he'd just keep going all night when I wanted yeah. wanted some throw downs. And we used to have an old Cortina that sounded like a V eight. He used to drive me around to all my trainings and you know all around New Zealand really to get to me where I was. And I, I lost him in a bush accident when I was quite young, which really sort of shattered me. And mm. you know, I think because I was always in a sports team, I I had something. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it's always it's been a you know a long journey, but probably it wasn't till probably about four years ago where um, I reached out to someone that I thought was my family. I always had this thing in my mind, you know, why why did my parents give me away? Um, didn't quite understand it. Did I feel good enough? Mm. Probably probably not in my mind. And I you know reached out to um, someone. That I thought was my brother, and you know, he said to me, "Hey, mate, we've we've been watching you and, and waiting for you for a long time. You got twelve uh, half brothers and sisters that are been watching you, and and all these cousins that have been all around you at school." Wow. So I, I actually found my Marae Te Pakita, Whakarewarewa, you know, where all the hot pools are. Yeah, I went back there. I met all my family and met some of my mates that I used to play rugby with and that at school. They're actually my cousins and you know, I've got three three young boys now I take back there. We have to bathe in the in the hot pools back there, you're not allowed any any undies on, mate. It's like <laughs> oh, yeah. our family originated um uh Nati Wahiaho Tuhorangi we originated in Tarawera. Yeah. The pink and white terraces and that's where we used to bathe and then the Tarawera eruption Sort of, you know, blew our family to pieces, and we had to head off and find another home. So they found found home there in Fakarewarewa. So the tradition is we still bathe in, in the nud. You know, if anyone tries to wear clothes in there, you get kicked out pretty quick. It's, is, is that right? Yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty awesome. You go in there and you you re- really do feel like you're, you know, it's back in back in the day. And my young fellas struggled a bit when they first went in <laughs> went in there, but yeah, after a while you run. Just gets on and does their thing and bathes in the in the beautiful water. It's really spiritual back there for us. And you know, the the moment for me that was probably something that I wanted all my life is walking back in there with my three sons and one of our queers saying, "Welcome home, my muckle." Yeah, you know, my boys getting to feel that at, at a young age. So yeah, that must be pretty special. Yeah, and uh, these values and. Um, obviously, vulnerabilities sounds like a fairly big one there, especially for the young fellas. How um, how important are they for you and your coaching? It seems to be a really strong part of what you do and what you bring to a team. Well, oh, vulnerability for me is, is strength and it's a necessity. You know, life 
life is tough and pretending to the world that it isn't. You know, you wearing a mask gets tiring, doesn't it, sometimes? So, you know, being as real as you possibly can, especially with with the leadership and, and people understanding that we're all human. Um, we don't all have the answers all the time, and it's okay to say I don't know, and yeah. it's okay to say I'm not having a great day today, but I'm going to you know do the best I can today at, at role models, the behaviours you know you want from your your people. You know, you want your people to be real and tell <clears throat> tell you when they're doing really well, but be able to tell you, tell you when they're not. Yeah, it's important, and especially in high performance sport, mate, it's tough. It's hard. We ask a lot from our players. Um, family's really important, and I've, you know, I don't, I don't really know, but in me, you know, it was obviously handed down from, you know, my ancestral line or my tupuna. You now, tanga is a, a real important value to me. Around, you know, around family, you know, everything that we got connects back to our family and our, our family line, and you know, the gifts that we've been given has have been handed down to us, and I've had a real, real belief in, you know, everybody that. I've coached or helped guide what I'm bringing out in them isn't me. It's what's already inside of them. It's just helping them realise what that is. And we all have some dark things in our life and some stuff that we need to change too. So hmm. that's that's what I think. Um, us as coaches, how do we yeah. bring the kids out in our people, help them realise, help them believe, help them have faith in that and help them make change around some of the you know things that we don't, some of our behaviours and um, things that were inherited into us that we don't want anymore for the next generation. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. And I want to come back to the identity piece because it sounds like you've done a fair bit of work there. But just before that, you mentioned something there around high performance. And I know that um, people that I talk with about you um, say that you've got a massive amount of love and care for the people that you work with. That would be something that comes through frequently. Um, how do you balance that in high performance? Because there is that edge to it. Um, and, and I've certainly personally something, not that I live, work at the level that you work at, but just balancing that edge of um, high performance and love and care. How do you go about that? Well, I don't, you know, I don't understand when people say that. You know, for me, the utmost first priority is the, the human being. And that will always come first. You know, what we do is we play this sport, which is great. It's an awesome platform where we can go and inspire others and all that stuff. But the person will always, always come before that. You know, there's a player struggling. We need them for that tournament. Um, but there's something more important outside of that. I, I, the first priority will be you don't need to come. Yeah, right. <laughs> if they're having a rough day. They turn up in the morning. It's not, no, you, we need you to do this training. Then go deal with it afterwards. Go see your family, you know. Go, go do what you need to do. That's that's always been, it's always been my priority. And the one thing that I've, you know, I've learned around that is, when you do that, the people that you're guiding and helping, they know that you really do care, really genuinely care. It's not, you know, it's authentic. It's genuine. Mm. Then when they are right and they come back, you get you get a different energy. You yeah. get a different energy that comes from the heart comes from the spirit um so I, i've always said you know high performance i think heart performance yeah nice if you get the heart performance right then the high performance has no capacity yeah and, and is that oh sorry no ceiling it's yeah. just 
Yeah. It comes from the soul. Yeah, I love that. Has that come about because of your experiences that you had as an athlete or you've seen other coaches modelling that or that's just in you and, and as you say, passed on and part of you? Yeah, I think think it's in me. You know, I did it intuitively. I've become more intentional about it after I've sort of learnt, you know, what is my purpose and what are my real values that I stay true to. Um, but I've, I, I guess for me, it's you know, how do how do I create an environment that I probably didn't have? Yeah, you know, where people feel like they can come in, feel safe, and you know, people say, "Oh, you care so much, you love so much," but I care about people's potential a heck of a lot, which allows me to have very honest conversations. Mm, nice. And and when I, you know, I think the one thing around that. Is, you know, when you've got a brother and a sister and that you, you don't hold back there. Yeah. <laughs> when you truly love and care about someone, if there's something that you think you can help them with or something that you think's tripping them up, you're gonna tell them pretty quickly. And I think that's you know, that's the most important thing around heart performance, high performance, is when you see something, if you don't let them know, even if you're right if it might not be right or wrong, you you have to have that conversation. Yeah. Along the way, you can't wait till a big selection and then tell them I've been watching for the last six weeks. <laughs> you know, you've been doing this stuff. It's got to happen pretty quickly. And and I used to be really scared to, you know, have those conversations. You no, know, just probably one of the biggest learnings I've learned me has been a defect in my character. Is because I've never felt like I've, you know, quite good enough or, or didn't fit in. You know, was something that was in me. Of you know, had an unconscious goal of you know, leaving spaces with people I've been in, everybody liking me, you know, people people pleasing. So earlier on in my career, I, I probably struggled a little bit with those honest conversations, and especially around selection. You know, some of my selections would go, um, you're doing really well, your numbers are great, you know, all of this, what they call it a shit sandwich. Yeah. A whole lot of ham and eggs and all that sort of stuff in there, and then, sorry, you're not coming to the tournament. So I got some really good feedback from our players, and it was pretty much cut the bullshit. Yeah. bullshit and so you know when I you know I, I've learnt that being really honest with care about potential um, you get more respect and care back because players really know you want to help them and a lot of my you know conversations these days I you know I, I care too much about you and this team um, that I have to have this conversation now and here it goes I don't know how it's going to go but here it goes and Usually we get to a pretty good place. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I, I hear you with that. I that really resonates with me. How you mentioned that and, and those tough conversations. Mm-hmm. I end up waffling and talking around in circles, and player walks away confused. I think more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, I just definitely a bit of work, you know. And now I'm really intentional you know, about my. You know, at the start of my my day, you know, I do a bit of meditation, a bit of a bit of mind work, and but I, I'll, I'll know that I've got a couple of important things that I need to do today that probably are in my, you know, they're, they're scaring me. I'm feeling a bit worried about. I know they're going to be some tough conversations, or but I prepare for them quite early. I'm saying I'm going to need, I need to be courageous today. This needs to happen today because if it doesn't happen today, it's going to be sitting on my shoulders again tonight. And you know, I I, I really prepare on how I'm going to do those because they're really important. Mm. And then, you know, when it's done, it's sometimes it's not done then. There's a follow-up and but making sure those those little things that usually worry me happen. Yeah. 
Who, who have you had, um, I guess, specifically in the coaching space, mentoring you and, and helping you on this journey? Yeah, I've had yeah, I've I've had a few like probably you know, as a as a coach, um, or someone that coached me, Joe Schmidt was, you know, someone that I I certainly listened to and respect a lot. He had this way of really connecting and helping me understand. Um, and you know, you always felt that he had your back. So you know, he was probably. You know, I had quite a few teachers in that when I was younger. Chris Grinter at school, nice. uh, he, he had my back, mate. He, I remember being in, I don't know if you like me saying this, man. <laughs> I was in detention sometimes and he'd come past and they mate, we we got training now. And <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, oh, sorry, miss, or, I've got training and shake your head. And he used to give me boots when I needed boots and school uniform and stuff. He really helped me out. And, and as I went through, I'd die and trick it. Oh, yeah. He was, um, you know, when I was assistant coach uh, for the sevens, he used to come in and he'd be, <laughs> you knew when he was in because, you know, he, he really wanted to know what you were trying to do and if and how effectively you were trying to do it. And, you know, the ladies understood why and yeah. what we were doing. Um, so when he, when he was in, you know, connecting with him and understanding how to have really effective conversations and communication and, and the clarity in the group. He was a real good mentor for me. And one, you know, one thing that he, I remember doing the this big presentation and everyone was like, oh, that's great. This is awesome. Then he said to me, we, where's your family in that? It was one of my bigger things when I, was, when I first started. I was all work and coaching all this and left my family behind and no, he, he taught me about the importance of that, you know, and it, it's been an important part for me now when I'm really busy as I, you know, my family's a priority and how I connect and stay connected to them is important. When you go off to work and you don't have the blessings of, you know, your wife and your kids, you're not at your best. Mm. There's a little, little feeling in your heart, you're not, because I got, you know, I've been away quite a bit. When you're leaving and you haven't got the blessings of your family, it's it's always sitting in the back of your heart and, yeah, pretend that you're okay, but you know, so yeah. making sure those relationships are, you know, you prioritise them. It's not a time thing; it's a presence thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool statement. Yeah, I've had lots of um, good mentors, like leaders, Clayton McMillan. Was he fucking Yep. Yeah, thought he was. Yep, he was going. I, I remember an awesome moment. I think it was my first ever Bay game when Titch was coach. You know, I was I was shitting myself. I was in at counties and we're walking down in you know, I think he's got a pretty good you know EQ. He he could Who's this Clayton or Titch? Yeah, Clayton. He was the captain and he was leading the team out. I must have been halfway down the line and he stopped and let the team sort of walk past and he, he just walked down with me, you know, my shoulder, you know, go out there, enjoy yourself. Right. I wasn't too many words. Yeah. You know, just a, it was just a bit of care. Mm. Bit of care, um, yeah. I could probably talk for, for quite, a, you know, quite a bit. I've had mentors that didn't know they were my mentors. Um, I've got some real good people that help me at the moment. Just probably around my my life and my mental health, and um, I've got people that help me to ask for money because I'm I'm not pretty I'm not very good at that. I've tried and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've, yeah, I'm really intentional about the people that support me and and that changes you know depending on where i'm in my life and you know yeah. some people like to have mentors that are really similar 
because we feel comfortable and we usually have conversations where, yeah, you know, you're doing good and I'm yeah. doing good. That's how we've sort of worked out, you know, we are the, the vulnerable patches in your leadership. Who's going to make you think a little bit, bit different? So making sure that, you know, you've got good people around you that can challenge you a bit too in your thinking because we all have our bias. you just got to remember that you have those. Yeah, yeah. Avoid that echo chamber of people telling you the same stuff that you want to hear. Yeah. As an athlete, were you like, obviously, as a coach, you sound pretty well organized, driven, um, doing everything to be the best version. And obviously, from the outside looking in, I assume that you were like that as a, as a young athlete. Um, was that a fair assumption? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, that's probably one of the reasons why I like to coach. You know, it's you know, I definitely didn't reach my potential as a athlete. I think for me, my sport was a place where I felt like prolonged when it did get a bit edgier. You know, that sort of fell away from me a bit. So, you know, the, I, the we, belonging fell away, do you mean? Yeah, well, when you, you know, when you're, not, when you're positioning the teams, you're getting challenged a bit. Then, oh, yeah. You know, so you know, back then the the support we had in our teams was, you know, definitely not what it is today, and and the knowledge and the expertise, um, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, yet to try and work things out for yourself. And you know, as, as when you're younger, you got told to sort of toughen up a bit. Yeah. And one of the, you know, one of the goals was to get to the back seat. <laughs> Back, get back seat of the bus. So, you know, things definitely, definitely change these days. And, you know, I think as a player and as a coach, the people that I've connected with, and you now I think for me, it's always keeping your mind open to learning what's next because, you know, staying, staying ahead and working out, you know, what's the next thing to take the group or help people find potential, getting the right people to do the things that I don't know you know, getting the right people around me. Um, it's just an ongoing journey. You know, you're never going to have all the answers, even, you know, the day that you're going to leave this earth. You know, so how do you keep looking and searching and and sharing what I know with others to help others? And you know, the day that you think you know everything, that's probably the beginning of the end. Yeah. Um, I have heard you say, and I may, I may have got it out of context, but I reckon I've heard you say you weren't that competitive. And that would be an unusual narrative, I would have thought, for a high-performance athlete and coach. Did, yeah, is that true? Have I heard that wrong? Yeah, I was. I definitely was competitive. I still am now, you right. know, when you have a competition. But I guess, you know, that, that competitive nature, you should, you should see my son, it's definitely in me, but <laughs> I've learned now, if you're not, if you haven't got, the balance and the things in your life, and I call it the te whare tapafa, you know, your your body, your mental, emotional, and your whānau connections, and really clear about what is your purpose here on this earth and understanding that is, you know, that, that my purpose now guides me to where I go next and the next roles I take, being really clear around my values, but, you know, being also clear around your strengths. You know, what are my strengths? What do I bring? And then, you know, a couple of things that you need to work on. When when you have that sort of awareness, it's easier to be competitive. When you're unsure about where you are and mm. how you're doing, it's easy to lose that competitive edge. And that's probably how I was as a sports person. I was in there, loved playing sport, didn't really 
couldn't tie all of that together. I knew when I was playing sevens, it had to be extremely fit and fast, and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I want to just touch, as I said before, that identity, but it seems like you've done a fair bit of work there. Has that been an intentional journey as well? Yeah, it is. Well, my identity, my identity used to scare me because I, I didn't think my, you know, my family wanted me um, for some whatever reason. Mm. Um, but you know, as I've sort of connected back to that, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best to to learn my language and and you know, doing a bit of study around my heritage and ancestors and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I, I get it. I've got this probably. I used to have an empty soul. A big part of me was empty. Now I'm starting to fill it, which gives me quite quite a bit more comfort, especially in my own skin. You know, self acceptance. I really, I, I, I don't mind me now. <laughs> I really don't mind sitting here on my own in my own skin. Um, and where I am on my journey, I know I do my best to be a good human. I know I do my best to be a good dad and partner and help other people. So. I probably don't need as much external validation as what I needed when I was a lot younger, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin and that doesn't happen every day, but I've got some solutions around, you know, how I can work on that. Yeah. So when you say I don't mind me now, what um, what was prior to that? Like, What sort of behaviours would come out, I guess, would be my question there? Well, probably, probably because, you know, I, I, I really didn't, I didn't know my family, didn't know where I come from. Obviously knew I was I was Maori. Now I know a little bit more of my story, um, and my journey and connected to my my family now and connected my family back to my family. Yeah, I'm I'm okay that I I don't know much Maori, but I'm learning because there's a lot, there's a heck of a lot of people out there too that have lost their language and yeah. are going on the same journey and um I'm not and I'm not seeking approval as much as I, you know, did. You know, I didn't. I, I really didn't feel like I was good enough when I was younger. Yeah. You no know, matter how many teams are made or what I won or anything like that, you know, it still, still didn't feel at peace. Mm. It's now, you know, through my journey and connecting back to my family and real intentional about, you know, connecting with my sons and, you know, helping them. You know, my you know my main, you know, me and my wife's goal is how do we change, you know, intergenerational change so our kids feel comfortable in their own skin. Um, you know, they're at peace. They have faith in themselves. Um, they can you know get through some pretty tough situations. That's probably the overall vision for us is how do we mm. um, make the pathway for our young ones. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Cool for them. Yeah. How old are your boys? Um, and my son, youngest, is just turned seven. I better get this right, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my middle, he's he's just turned nine, and my eleven-year-old just about to turn twelve. And my youngest son's Uekaha, which means strengthening force. My middle son's Miharo, which is amazing, and my oldest is Ngako Nui, which is big heart. And I've got an older daughter, Nikita, that sort of just lives. She sort of lives here, but lives at her boyfriend's up the road. Yeah. So, yeah, we're a, pretty, we're a bit of a tight bunch. Yeah, nice. And are they into sport? Yeah, they, they play everything. Yeah, my yeah. son wants Michael Jordan stuff. 
last week and then this week he wants Tom Brady stuff and <laughs> but just yeah for me there's no pressure on my kids to play sport I just try and jump out there with them and play around and rough them up a bit they love it and yeah try and break up the fights because they're pretty competitive and yeah tried, you know I when I was I used to teach them you know, competitive and winning I'm trying to teach them how to lose now yeah <laughs> And the only way I can do that is by me, because I used to, you know, just to try and win everything with them too. But me losing and being comfortable with it, and yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's yeah, really cool. With um, just with the recent World Cup that the Black Ferns won, um, I know you're involved with that. Um, firstly, just tell us a little bit about that experience, and and because you were brought into that by Smithy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smithy reached out for a bit of, bit of help, I think. Um, but it, it was an amazing experience for me. You know, I learned to give a lot. You know, we had a short amount of time, and Smithy had a had a plan. And for me, I probably just jumped on and enjoyed the journey. And he had a, he was on a mission and helped him out where I could in, in my way. But you know, by the end of things, uh, we were going moving pretty quickly. And um, he was really honest to our ladies, which they really appreciated. You know, he he knew what were the, the critical things that we could really make change. We certainly couldn't change everything, and we really focused on that and shifted them physically. Really shifted them physically to be able to deal with um, the intensity of the southern hem- hemisphere and or northern hemisphere. Sorry, and and he gave him a a game plan that they fell in love with, a really attack, attacking mindset. And yes, it was a it was a I don't know if that summed it up pretty well. It was yeah. it was short, sharp fast and um yeah learn to give a lot yeah um i know he's a big fan of yours and i happened to bump into him at the airport last week i think he was on his way down to do some stuff with you guys mm-hmm. and and i told him that we were having this chat and i said <laughs> well give me something give me something to ask him and he said he goes he'll start every session with something unique or something different whether it's a meeting or a training session um ask him about that um, so is that intentional and is there a um, purpose behind it and, and yeah, where does that come from? Yeah, well, sometimes high performance is always edge. You know, how can we get better? This is what we need to work on from yesterday and you know, it comes repetitive. But I, I like to chuck in little things around how do we train our attributes and courage and vulnerability and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I'll always do something pretty awkward or (laughs) pretty awkward or you know make myself extremely comfortable and it changes the room so it takes us takes the edge off the room and and it's probably just that attribute courage yeah how do i role model courage um and then just remind the ladies that we're all human we can all be a bit bit weird but you know we chuck ourselves out there sometimes then you know special things can happen and that usually changes the the emotion in the room and I've done a couple of things I used to do with the seven I used to preparing for the Olympics because we weren't playing so much um, I used to do a dance or something for the ladies or I remember doing doing what I did one on my own and then I thought oh, I'll get some of these ladies to you know break down some of that exterior wall and I remember uh, messaging Niall Williams one night said hey we're going to do a dance and she told me to F off. <laughs> and then she called me back because she knew she was going to have to do it. Yeah. Because this is what we're doing. 
she sent me a video um, of her and her husband already, you know, had it all sorted. You better learn this and get this right. Her and Tama that it was a Barbie and Ken. Although I knew there was something in there. <laughs> and then the next morning we did it in front of the team and and it changes though. You know, there's a laughter, like there's power and humour and laughter and high performance. Mm. There's a few of our, you know, courage, humour, just remind everyone we're human on this journey. We don't expect perfection, but effort and courage are really important. Um, and you know, one 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 lady that's extremely great at it on the field in big moments is probably Ruby Tui, um, yeah. especially with our with our younger ones. You now, when you're on the field and and everyone's edgy around you, especially if you're younger, and if you make a mistake and people are edgy around you, you, you get pretty scared. And then your next action is going to probably be really worried and mm. and safe. Now she's really good at grabbing the young ones and cracking cracking a joke, or you know, it's really it's really powerful in high pressure moments. Yeah, really powerful. Just from hey, I got your back. You know, when you're on the field and you got some people that you admire and respect around you that you know just makes it normal. It's okay. You can crack a joke. Then your next action is going to be. A lot more positive than you know. Got these old these ladies that have been around a while that are not looking at you, giving you the desk there. Yeah, can really help performance. Yeah, that'd be a unique approach though from a coaching point of view. And I, I love that you said that you thought about how do you model that rather than just I guess demanded of players. Well, any behavioural or leadership actions, it's pretty hard to ask a group to do it if you're not doing it. Mm. You're not going to get much shift. Any behaviours or actions that you want to install in a group, you have to role model them. Yeah, you, you have to. Because I, I remember, with the, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I was teaching, um, and I had a rule in my class: no eating in my class. And and yeah, it was great. There was no eating. One day I was really hungry, and I couldn't wait <laughs> till lunchtime. And I can't remember what it was. I think it was a cookie or something, and I sort of cracked it open and started eating it. From that day on, there was wrappers, you know, on the ground and crumbs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but your people, uh, you're asking us to do that, and you're not doing it yourself. Mm. If you want change, you have to run model change. If you want people to say that was me, that was my fault. I don't. I I, I didn't quite get that right. You want people to stand up and say, you know, these are my strengths. These are the stuff I'm working on. Yeah, that's 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 how you get quick change. Yeah, love that. Um, how how do you go about if there is a rule that you want to uh, impart on a team? If there's something that's important to you and you believe it's important to performance, like you know, I don't know, no phones during a meeting or something like that. If it is just a flat out rule that you just want, do you just say, "Hey, this is what's happening," or do you get their buy in and work around that? You're well, the, the, probably the, the biggest way you get a shift or people that you know you, you have to understand who your leaders are and your most influential people. And if I have that rule and the influential people don't believe in it, then you're probably not going to get that shift either. Mm. So it's you know, sometimes you I might have a rule, but you know, being really clear to who your leaders are, your most influential people are, what do you believe are the rules and making their thoughts our thoughts or their values and beliefs, our values, and then those things are going to be lived, and then I probably don't have to marshal it. Yeah. You know, the, the leaders will marshal it. 
And if you don't get alignment with the leaders, within and, and between them, not between you and them, but between them and them. Um, yeah, it's pretty hard. You know, you want your majority of your leaders to, or all your leaders to be walking through the doors that you want them to walk through. And if you've got some walking through opposite doors, then it's really hard to get a shift in a team. Yeah. Um, yeah, good, Rhino. That's good. Thank you. Um, in terms of the World Cup, with success, obviously you guys had the the ultimate outcome and it was phenomenal what it did for for sport, for rugby, for women's rugby, for women's sport. Like, will have a massive influence, I think, for a long time. Leading into that, and obviously I know that was your goal and I know that from the start that's what you wanted to do was to win that. But if we took that out of it, what was success going to look like or what did you – what did success? What would success have looked like for you, other than winning? Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. What like for me, um, jumping in there, you know, you know, the the team had been through a real tough time, mm. obviously, and you know, I wasn't there, so you know, what I think, in my opinion, around that, I I don't think is is valid valid. Yep. But there were some real good learnings out of that. But I guess for me, going in there, I, like team has been really successful over a long time. And when and when you when you when you probably talk to people that have been really successful, they don't usually talk about the success. They talk about the tough patch. Yeah. And usually you get some real critical learnings. You know, how do you take the greatness of the Black Ferns over the past year? There's been this rough patch that probably needed to happen. And then how do we take the learnings and and, and go? So like for me, success looked like players out, you know, getting to the finals, obviously, but players being out there free, you know, mm. free, free of doubt and worry and expectations and, you know, the ability to just, you know, completely be themselves and, you know, and bring to life, I don't know what Smithy you know, the coaches did a mate Smithy brought this this game plan that the girls absolutely fell in love with and and watching that happen in a you know stadium, a full stadium. You know, some of our ladies playing free was that's that's what you know, even if we didn't win that game, that game was amazing because it yeah. was amazing moments all throughout that game and you know that we didn't get that last line out and we hadn't scored. There was some amazing things that happened in that game. Yeah. And probably the yeah the biggest thing for me is how do we free up how do we free up our people from all the worry, doubt, and expectations, and allow them to focus into their strengths and their have faith in that, and then have the courage to express that. And I think that's what we've seen, and you know, Smithy and the coaches did an amazing job at that. Do you think that's what played a part in the way that they played the game and the way that they interacted with the public and and the work that they did? as to why there was that sellout crowd at Eden Park. And like I was in, um, I think I was in Thailand on a putting green, um, <laughs> refreshing my phone every three seconds, um, <laughs> wanting to see. And so, you know, like it was a massive event. And do you think that was, well, and the other part of that was that must've been hard for those girls to let go and be free because that would be a pressure that they've no doubt. I mean, how many people get to experience that? Yeah, well, definitely stuff. You know, there's a thousand things you can think about going into a final. <laughs> yeah. How do you free the mind and 
allow them to have faith that we've been working really hard on a few things and you don't need to think about it. It's just going to happen. How do you go out there and really embrace and embrace that moment, enjoy the support that we're getting from a you know, country and, and and look at it as an opportunity to inspire a nation like never before. You know, mm. That's the vision that the ladies come up with. You know, we've got an opportunity to you know, inspire this country, our families, like never before, and and then that come to life. Yeah. How hard was it watching? I I I I like it. I I loved it. You know, I'm I'm usually you know I get nervous like everyone else, but I'm I'm pretty calm there. Like I I know it's uh, I always have this view that you know you have these big massive games and you're gonna get judged the heck out of and all that sort of stuff. But we're all gonna be okay after that. <laughs> win or lose, and you know, as long as your connections with your family and your people are good, you're gonna go home to some cuddles. And you yeah. know, losing's not that bad. You know, it's tough and. But losing is good. Sometimes, you know, you get your, you get real, you know, with the sevens and my journey, we've got some critical learnings that have made us great over the time. And and, and winning all the time can be quite dangerous. Mm. So, you know, how do we go back and visit those key learnings from that bit of pain or, you know, like I talked about, the hard times and never forget those times because that, that's what makes, makes you what you are. So, mm. I, I, you know, some I work on some of my own work. You know, being in the moment, pressure, and when I when I was first with the sevens, um, when the ladies were in the tunnel, I used to race over to the box and get this game started and get yeah. this done and get this halftime done. And you know, I wanted to just rush through it. So I had to sort of work on how do I just be in my own shoes and be present. So, I, you know, in my last two or three years, I used to just sit in the tunnel with the ladies and just watch. You know, watch the opposition come out. Look at the feeling and listen to Ruby Tui doing her chants and yeah. <laughs> she's doing to other people like be in the moment. Then I'd follow the team over, watch them right on the field and you know, feel their excitement and nerves. It's it's amazing. And then walk over slowly, walk past opposition coaches, shake their hands. I, you know, we're on this mission. Good luck, mate. It was a bit awkward at start. They didn't know what I was trying to do. They thought I was trying to put them off or something. <laughs> but it becomes something that we did all as coaches, you know, good luck, mate. And yeah. get to my space and then the kickoff would go and then just try and stay in my moments and just remember what my role is and yeah, really enjoy it. Um, one fascinating thing is that um, this uh, World Cup, not the World Cup, the Olympic final and the halftime huddle, I'm sure you've been asked about this a hundred times, but what was your thinking there? Well, it's what we've been doing for the last four years. Yeah. Yeah, I was almost thinking at the start, like our, our ladies, they're, they're smart human beings, you know. And right when I started with the sevens, the first huddle, I didn't say anything, and you know, all our ladies were looking at me, waiting for me to give them the answers. Yeah, <laughs> I've always had a view, you know, as coaches, you know, we see stuff, we don't hear it, we're not out there, we don't feel, and you only get two minutes and a half time at sevens. If I go out there and tell them what I think and what to do, then you can go quite wrong, and I've seen it happen over the years. Now, from that point on, you know, our, our ladies were empowered. Yeah. Problem solve. We'll think about the things that were going right, and you know, we worked through it. It wasn't always perfect. We had roles in our halfway, our halftime speeches, but you know, if you fast forward back to that Olympics, my role 
Uh, we, we do have a problem. Our ladies don't like to come off the field. <laughs> Even if they make a couple of mistakes, they want to stay on and make up for it. But then you start yeah. chasing the game. So I, you know, my role is to make sure that the people that are on the field can do the job we need them to do because we've got some ladies that are on the bench that can, you know, bring their gifts onto the field. Mm-hmm. That's all. I, you know, at the end, of, I had so much faith in our ladies that I knew that they'd come up with the answers. And it was, it was a pretty edgy game against Fiji. When yeah. We, didn't know what was going to happen, but I remember vividly the messages that were said going into extra time, and I think Gossie was the one that said it. She said, we just need to do the little things right. All our little things and the big things will happen. Yeah. That, that was it. And then you see Stacey go and take the ball, and then there was a pass and a pass and a ruck, and, and I had to – I'd made a change, put Gail Broaden on there. She was pretty scared about about going on. She goes, are you sure? And I was like, I'm really sure. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You know, love you. Go out there and be you. And she did a little backspin. And yeah, all I knew we needed, you know, my job was to make sure we had the right people on the field. And I knew with the the situation, we, we we like we had Porsche that could go and win the game too. But she was on an edge. We needed someone up the middle. And Gail was probably the the one that was going to be a bit of a game breaker. Yeah. Luckily, it happened, and it sounds like I made the big coach move. But any one of those ladies in the middle could have done that. Yeah. Um, even with that belief and knowledge, to not say anything still, was there was there any part of you that just wanted to jump in and say something? With, no, that's fucking magic. Well, if I had gone in there and said something, they would have pushed my head out. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, that's just telling – that's probably just telling them I'm scared. Yeah. I'm terrified. I don't trust you at the moment. Is this me? It, I just, I, I was working on me. I was working on what was my role. How can I be present? I was just walking around the outside, checking on some players that I thought might be getting to their limit. We need to make changes. And that was it. Nice. Listen to the conversation. Have to trust that that's the right thing. Yeah. Because and... I, I, I probably about halfway through, we got a real scolding from Aussie. We got we lost in Sydney Sevens. I think it was like thirty two nil, and I didn't speak at the halfway uh, in the half time, and I got questioned quite a bit. You, you need to start coaching by who? Questioned by who? Oh, you know, just mentors and people are, you know, around me, and and I really started questioning myself. Do I, you know, do I? And I was going, to, but I thought no. <laughs> like you said, we that was one out of how many games. Yeah, I, I, one thing I said to myself: I've seen coaches give team talks, and a lot of losses happen after that. No one's telling them to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just different. Yeah, and we got some real good learnings out of that. What were the messages at that halftime? Um, but we, you know, the biggest lesson we got out of that roasting was we probably didn't prepare well enough. Our program, you know, we used to have a a Dubai sevens and we'd break for nationals so the team was all over the place and then we'd go straight into Sydney whereas the rest of the world circuit they weren't breaking they were training and getting better so we missed the preparation window and then the other one was patience patience is such a tough thing when you've got you haven't got much time to win mm. yeah. lack of patience means you give away a penalty or you're offside and it's a game changer you just have to I've always had this thing is like sometimes you're, you step in a bit of shit you have to stay in it. Yeah. You have to stay in it and pick the right time 
to, to get out of it because if you jump out of it too early, you step in a bigger bit of shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like that. Yeah, time pressure is the big one with sevens. You can always look at the clock and, you know, you only got seven minutes and seven minutes. So how do you deal with, you know, being on D, not individually, collectively, and we had a couple of team calls that we'd call, so just staying in system, picking our right moments, waiting for our line speed to hunt for the ball. Because, you know, when we're under pressure, everyone would be hunting every ruck and giving away penalty, penalties. And there's some real key learnings out of yeah. you know, some of those big losses. And does that change? Does the coaching stuff change for 15s? Obviously, you haven't got a half, you've got a much longer half time. Um, but your core philosophy, obviously, is going to stay pretty strong, right? Yeah, well, for me, you know, my, my, my philosophy, like my purpose for, for what I do is um, igniting potential or finding the potential and bringing it to life in people. Um, and then another one that follows that is inspiring others until you're not needed. Yeah, right. So that, that's me. And once that's happened in a group, then it's time for me to move on somewhere else and, and help that come to life. You know, I'm a big believer in self-reliance and, um, you know, I don't want to be needed in a team forever. And if Alan Bunting leaves, then this team doesn't operate. Yeah. That's, that's not what I do. So a big philosophy around this. How to, for me, high performance is self-awareness. You know, how, how do I as an athlete know what it is to be the best I can be? And no matter what I have in that pathway, I'll find a way to get there. Mm. You know, if I turn up and physio appointment's not quite right in that, I'll still find a way to get my physio. If I turn up in the field and the coach ain't there, still find a way to do what I need to do to get my skills done. And I still find a way, my fitness, how many gym sessions have I done in my life? I don't have a program. Yeah. Really want it. You'll, you'll find it. It's always yeah. been a, a philosophy. How do we grow self-awareness of our ladies? Cause everyone's different. How do we, how do we learn to fill our cup so we can give energy? So energy's not always going out and then we run empty. Mm. Yeah. So that, that'll, that'll always be the philosophy around my leadership. And how much harder will it be um, working in a decentralised program with, I would imagine, a lot more players, so more players, less contact time? Uh, what, do you, what are the challenges you see with that? It's gonna, it's gonna take a bit more time, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's a obviously a wider, a wider, bigger group. But it's you know, how do we get everyone aligned to what we're trying to achieve? And the most important thing is, is our players. Know, growing yeah. the, the awareness, um, and if you get the that self reliance and the understanding and education around what it means to be best in the world, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, rugby, then you know players become unstoppable. They'll find a way, yeah. but it's going to take it's going to take time. And out of out of that group, let's say you've got uh, thirty players in a in a group. How many of them are what they all look like, as in, you know, the, the striving, high-performing athlete that's doing everything? Is that, is that the top end of the bell curve that are doing that? And you've got the others like, you know, like every bit of society where you've got the others that probably aren't pushing hard enough or can they just not keep up in that environment? Um, well, you know, the, the 15s are transitioning into professionalism. You know, the sound of our a full-time Black Ferns contract sounds really good. That's mm. it's tough work. So you know, there's there's you know there's quite a few ladies in our environment doing really well, and 
thriving and self-reliant but there's you know new ladies and so there's still a bit of education around you know there's going to be some tough times and and, and some key learnings through this but um you know i think the one thing that i've learned that rome wasn't built in a day yeah and that you know what smithy and the, and the coaches and ted and chrono did um through that but there was some amazing um, absolutely amazing stuff there but you know we do have to go back and build some foundations build depth build support for our ladies so you know we need to go backwards again to go even you know further forward right and work on some of the foundation stuff and so someone coming in new to the environment is there an induction process that you go through that makes them aware of some of that stuff that they may not be aware of yep that's what we're trying to put together at the moment you know at the moment we know what is the what is a full-time professional black firm? What do they do each day? Mm. Once we realise what that is, and then, then we'll have an induction process. Yeah. Awesome, Alan, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jake. It's good to catch up with you, mate. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, bro.